SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Dads are overrated, and I speak from experience. Ah, there's nothing like a Sunday drive. Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2. SequelCast 2 is a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. I'm Matt Bradley Shergy. With me is William Thrasher. A son was born of the mask! Oh boy. Yeah, the uh, good Bob Hoskins uh, link. And uh, on that note, we have as a guest Ryan Haas, who is the uh, founder of the Super Mario Brothers The Movie Archive. Um, We had him way back on... I, you know, the probably one of the Super Mario Brothers movie episodes and maybe Rocky or something, I don't quite remember. Um, Saw. But Saw, that's right. Um, which one? Um, one, actually one and, and seven, one I believe. One and seven? Yeah. Okay, that, that, that's, that's coming to mind, yeah. I have, I have yet to see Jigsaw, which is the eighth one, is that one any good? I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. Okay. As a fan, cool. yeah. Yeah, neat. Um, so Ryan, welcome, uh, welcome back to SequelCast Two. Good to you. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I sort of reached out telling you sort of the sort of things we were covering, and uh, you had expressed interest in uh, in the mask, and you know, we're talking about Son of the Mask. But before we get into that, I sort of want to know um, how much of a fan were you of the Jim Carrey original? Oh, I was a huge fan of The Mask and Jim Carrey. I mean, that's one of those things where I was a, I was a kid at the time. I think in, what, 1995, I was in second grade or something like that. So that's like oh, okay. the yeah. perfect impressionable age for uh, for Jim Carrey in a movie like that to kind of sink into your subconscious. So I love that. I love that movie. I love the first Mask movie. And then I tried to get invested in the comics as a kid. My parents didn't really understand or know that the uh, source material was pretty <laughs> violent and different. Yes. But uh, yeah. but I I was intrigued, so intrigued as a kid. Even then, just just looking at the artwork <laughs> and being like, "Whoa, what is what is going on here?" And it's just um, fascinated over me over the years. Just um, not not just that first film, but the mask lore in general. You know, being a comic book fan, and anyway, like it just, um, it just has always been kind of an interesting thing for for me to look at. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of the franchise, the comics, mo- the movie, the first movie, and um, and the animated series actually, which just got um, its first season released through Warner Archive last week. Oh, cool. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we. Um, in fact, last week we sort of talked about the uh, the two part crossover between the mask and Ace, Ace Ventura, Ventura mm-hmm. series. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I also, you know, I didn't even realize there was a Dumb and Dumber um, yes. animated series as well. Yes, that's true. Um, well, what a crossover that could have been. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. Jim Carrey like triumvirate. Yeah. 
And I mean, we, we, we've said this before, but that year, I think, what was it, 94 or 95, something like that, um, was huge for Jim Carrey sort of breaking out, becoming a comedy superstar, because he did the first Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber, all in the same year. And that's my Corgi Spock. Hey, Spock. Yeah, that's just crazy. I cannot believe that, that he did all those things in one year. And, um... And, and there's an interesting Nintendo Power story about the Son of a Mask. Have you heard about this one, Ryan? Uh, or, or at the time called Mask the Mask 2. Yes, I do know about this. <laughs> yeah, have, do you know about this, Thrasher? Yeah, actually, I, I remember that contest because I had a subscription to Nintendo Power at the time. Uh-huh, it, you know, uh, I think Destructoid or something like a year ago, two ago, uh, tracked down the guy that won the contest. How they did that, I'm not really sure. Well, I guess they maybe they published the winners or something in the magazine, but he said this long story, you know, it became uh, obvious Jim Carrey was not going to do The Mask 2, even though it was in his contract uh, to do it, probably. And um, so he was offered a choice of uh, three things from Nintendo Power, or two things from Nintendo Power. They said, well, we can uh, give you the cash value of the prize, which is $5,000, or you can keep on waiting, and if they happen to do a mask sequel, we can, uh, you know, try and get you down to the set. And um, and he took the money, and, and this was, you know, <laughs> probably like in 2000 or something, or he's waited several years at that point. And um, and he and he said part of him wishes he could have waited and seen if he could have gotten a walk-on part in Son of the Mask. But on the other hand, you know, he doesn't know if they would have come through with it either. And he did get a uh, a crew jacket for the mask too. Um, so that they had jackets available makes me think they maybe were doing some pre-viz or maybe had some sort of a script and mm -hmm. something going on. Uh, I, I, I've also read Amy Yazbeck was, was signed up to be in the sequel, and, and she has this sort of small part as the reporter in the first one. Yeah, she apparently in the original script was going to die in the first film, but the uh, right. director became so attached to her, decided she, he wanted to use her in a sequel, so changed it so she never died. And apparently also the last uh, print issue of Nintendo Power had an apology to the guy who won uh, that contest. <laughs> Which is pretty sporting, they, though, um, Nintendo Power. Yeah, you know, they, they didn't do that, I guess, for a little bit there. They did a few sort of, like, movie uh, contests as their monthly thing. I recall one was something like, uh, oh, you get to go to the set of True Lies 2 or something that didn't happen, and the winner just got to... <laughs> get a handshake from Arnold Schwarzenegger huh. at, um, and maybe he got to go to a movie premiere or something else, um, which is better than nothing. I mean, my, uh, it's a quick story. My dad actually worked at Coca-Cola when the Olympics were in Atlanta, Georgia, and we lived there, and uh, he was picked to be one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's security people uh, for one of the basketball games in the Olympics. And so my friends were saying my dad was on TV sitting next to Arnold Schwarzenegger. And uh, and he was, but I mean, why you'd pick like a five foot six man to guard Arnold Schwarzenegger is a different story. Because the little guys always have something to prove. They will fight that I, much harder. I, I guess so. It, it just seemed like an odd choice, but... Anyway, yeah, Son of the Mask, you know, this one didn't come out until 2005. That's so over little, ten years. Over ten years. That's a that's never a good sign. And the the director of this, Lawrence Guterman, did Cats and Dogs, which was a CG heavy. Um, he also did uh, some additional work uh, on the DreamWorks cartoon Ants. <coughs> so, 
you know, oh, yeah. he, he has experience with special effects. It makes sense why they'd they'd pick him. And uh, the budget of this is uh, the Korean box office mojo eighty four million, which is you know I think about like four times the budget of the original. And uh, and there's a lot more effects in this one, but it, I think it's also at a point where. Uh, they try to go for more realistic than stylized, and it, it makes it not hold up as well with the effects. Uh, Ryan, did you first see this in the theater, or I did see this in the theater on opening <laughs> weekend. Yes, oh, I did. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> I I remember being very excited about Son of the Mask opening because I, like I said, have been a big fan of the first film and just the mask lore in general. So when they announced it, oh, I was overjoyed just for the fact that there was actually going to be a mask sequel and the more i found out about the film uh the more worried i got (laughs) so um but there were some things in there that made me um you know excited about it namely bob hoskins and um alan cumming in the movie and i thought wow they're actually going to delve deeper into the mythology and we're going to get loki and odin and Maybe it'll be good, and I did go see it opening uh, weekend. Yeah, Oscar. Jeez, yeah. Um, and and despite, I've never seen trailers for this. Were just sort of go on. I was saying, uh, despite the fact that I have been campaigning for us to do this movie since the f- uh, third episode <laughs> of the original sequel cast, I didn't see. Amazing. This. I haven't seen yeah. this until last night. Oh, okay. I'd been putting it oh, off, nice. saving it for this special occasion. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll admit it, it took me like four or five times to make it all the way through this movie. I, I know, part of it was like time constraints, but also like in the past I recall it had been on like Netflix or some streaming services, and uh, I said, oh, this will be fun, I've been meaning to watch this. And after like the first opening scene, I was like, nope, and turned it off. <laughs> and it, um, I don't, there's some interesting ideas, there's some darker ideas, you know, uh, since it came out, Jamie Kennedy has complained about this movie and said uh, it was supposed to be more darker, more adult, and they cut a lot of that stuff out. Um, I don't know if that's really present in the the final product, but there's certainly. I wouldn't be uh, surprised. Yeah, well, for a PG and, and a movie, Kennedy, there's some weird stuff in it. Yeah, oh, that's. I mean, stuff. yeah, when you start to watch it, it is very obvious. Like. How is this a PG movie? It's rated PG, but there are some the ways that the story has to happen to make this this film work. It, it's some pretty gruesome, like I mean, not gruesome really, but story. weird, weird, weird story <laughs> construction, and just and a lot of the the things that the 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 CG baby does and stuff. It's almost like it's a like a horror movie <laughs> in a lot of so ways. It isn't. It is a bit. It's a great point, Ryan. You mentioned uh, you mentioned the weird the weird story structure. So watching watching this movie, have you have you all ever seen like a a story that's procedurally generated by a predictive algorithm? <laughs> yes, there's a YouTube video where they had actors act out a script that a, a AI wrote. Well, like it's, this it's bizarre. This movie, I feel, is like that. If the technology was like. 27% better. Because like, everything in this movie, it's, it, it's like a robot tried to make a movie for people. Oh, humans like babies and the mask and gods. Here you go. 
Yeah, well, it's like they took the dancing baby Ally McBeal video or whatever and decided <laughs> we're make a whole movie out of that. People like babies and, and dogs, and people like the dog in the first mask, and since we can't get Jim Carrey, let's make sure to have the, the, uh, some representation of the dog in there. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, this is something I was wondering. I, I didn't have time to check, but um, how much of the marketing focused on the baby and the dog? A lot of it. Focused on... No, was it? Okay, so yeah. it's not like... It was a surprise, people going to the movie. No. And, oh, what is it? It's about the baby. Um, yeah, every, all the marketing I remember, it was all the baby. And I remember I watched a lot of talk shows at the time because I was a big fan of like you know Conan O'Brien and things like that. And Jamie Kennedy, of course, did the talk show rounds. And any clip that they would show on the talk shows would always involve the baby and would never involve Jamie Kennedy as the mask. Right, <laughs> yeah. Wow, ouch. Yeah, and... Uh, Jamie Kennedy, you know, it should be noted at, at this time, um, you know, this was a little bit after his, his height with the, the screen movies, and he did sort of a candid camera type show called The Jamie Kennedy Experiment. Yeah. Which was an attempt to reconcile uh, quantum physics with Newtonian gravitational theory. Sadly, the experiment did not create any reproducible results. Uh, of course, he also he also did this sort of weird show on MTV. Uh, I don't I can't find the name right now, but it was um, about uh, and I, I don't know if it was a joke premise or not. But he said, you know, you know, I've been a comedian, but I, I, all this time I've really wanted to be a rapper, and it followed him coming out with sort of a comedic rap album. Um, oh, well, didn't he do a movie about that too? Uh, he did a movie with a lot of those musical numbers, yeah. But, but the, like the MTV Brooklyn's show was Most more Wanted or something. Right, but the MTV show was more of a documentary. Uh, Hold on, my Corgi's trying to destroy my Anne Rand biography. I wish I was making that up. Um, <laughs> keep on talking; I'll be back. Well, the invisible no. jaws of the market are determining what's happening to that biography. Do you want us to fill some air, Matt? Oh no. <laughs> okay, so so Jamie Kennedy. So I do have to talk about him. So Jamie Kennedy, I haven't seen him much, but watching him in this where he's the focus of the film, even when he's being extremely dopey, he kind of has this easygoing, low-key charisma that I find rather charming. To to the to the point where I wish this movie could have been more about him and less about every crazy thing happening around right. him. Right? Yeah. You could you could have had a, a mask with a lot of a lot of pathos. I mean, he it, to a certain extent he kind of does sad sack and he he does sad sack and put upon better than Jim Carrey, if only because we know Jim Carrey could bust out with the crazy at any second. Right. Yeah. No. Through a lot of this movie, he just seems. You know, super depressed and in over his head. <laughs> you know, I, but that's funny because you know I I, I am a new parent myself. I, I have a nine month old daughter at this point, cool. uh, at this juncture, and of a lot of things in the movie did resonate me with me differently than when I first saw it. You know, in two thousand five, because I have a daughter now, and and I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, that's accurate. That's accurate. Oh, the the well, the head head blowing into a balloon isn't, but but just you know all those <laughs> all those things about being tired and keeping up a job. You know, I have a creative type job as well, so a lot of that stuff was interesting to me, just to kind of see like, well, of course, of course, he'd be super stressed out, and maybe he does feel like he's going crazy, and but uh, 
Man, there's just a lot of things in this movie. Like, I'm watching the trailer right now, and, and I, when I, I, I watched the film yesterday to, to prepare for this, and some of the scenes that I think are just supposed to be, that they thought would be funny, or haha, look at that, are just horrifying. When when the wife you, is blowing up the balloon and then the baby blows its head into the balloon, it's 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 freakish. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned about you know Jamie Kennedy playing this this put upon father. I really feel like that should be the emotional heart of the movie and the the purpose yeah. of the mask because yeah. in in the first film there was a wonderful contrast between Jim Carrey as Stanley Ipkiss and Jim Carrey as the mask, and in this I feel like when he puts on the mask, he should be like he. Sh- I feel like it should be a contrast between his new role as a father and his old role as a single guy with no responsibilities, which would always come out when he, when he would put on the mask. We never see that. They, they don't attempt to make the mask work as a symbolic part of a character's journey at all. Right. Yeah, before we... We should probably start talking about the movie from the beginning, but before that, you know, another example with the baby that reminded me of was a short-lived two-season American sitcom called Baby Bob based on the character from the Quiznos commercial. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, this was a short-lived sitcom, but I mean... It was no caveman. The, the lines. No, it did have Elliot Gold in there as the grandfather, but um, he was a great actor. But yeah, I mean, that the, the whole dancing baby, the whole CG thing of making the... Uh, yeah, the Eddie Murphy, Dr. Doolittle films. You had, you know, even Cats and Dogs, which was done by the same director. Um, this stuff was certainly in, in vogue and, and all these things, and... Um, so, yeah, I mean, that they concentrate on that, on some of the mask. How can you follow up Jim Carrey? I mean, that's just a really difficult question. I, I think in times in the past when they've done it, they either do the same character but do it younger, like with the dumb and dumber, whatever, when Harry met Lloyd, or they do it with um, a, a side character where uh, Bruce Almighty... The sequel, Evan Almighty, was supposed to star and was written for Jim Carrey, but he didn't want to do it, so they had Steve Carell do it instead, um, where it's the sort of Noah's Ark uh, comedy thing. But yeah, but some of the mask, it does begin with uh, some, some continuity. You have a character who is, in, albeit in like in two scenes in the original, Dr. Ar- Arthur Newman who is played by the immortal Ben Stein. Who, despite being a psychoanalyst, is giving a midnight tour of a museum <laughs> of natural history. <laughs> I, I, yeah, in my head canon, I kind of explained this as, I bet this maybe this was some sort of VIP-only thing where they had to pay extra money, you know, for the privilege of, of being taken on a tour uh, with with the character from the, with his character from the, from the original film. Because <laughs> he maybe yeah, a big history maybe he'd use it... Ryan, and maybe I'm he'd use glad. it as an excuse to sell one of his books again or something, but they don't... Yeah, could, I don't know, it's just so be. random. But, Ryan, I'm glad you mentioned, like, a headcanon, because this movie is full of so oh, much yeah. inexplicable stuff. Your gears start spinning over time trying to figure out what kind of world this movie takes <laughs> place in. <laughs> yeah. But then when I, I remember when I, when I sat down in the theater and started watching this, I, w- I was very... I, I was surprised because I thought, "Wow, they're actually not ignoring the first film. It's this. This could be good." It starts off with Ben Stein from the first film. It it tells you that you're back in Edge City, you know, which is the city from the first film. And I thought, well, you know, if they were really going to ignore all the canon and everything from the original, they they wouldn't have gone through the effort of telling us of having that same character and showing us the same city, and it's all dark and stormy. I'm like, this is cool. This looks cool. And 
And then Loki shows up, and then uh, after Which that scene, immediately over. <laughs> violates the canon of the first film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because there's a sort of a throwaway line in the first film where they talk about well, the mask is uh, it has Loki's spirit inside of it or something. Yeah, Loki right? was imprisoned in the mask. Imprisoned in the mask, and in this, it's it, it's it's called a retcon, in that oh, Loki made this mask. To have sort of his characteristics, the shape-sifting, the mischievous stuff, the id. Uh, to bedevil to kind of the people with... of Midgard. Yeah, to, 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 to screw with people, which to be fair, if you've read Norse mythology, that's exactly what Lo- the kind of thing Loki would do. Uh, and uh, But we, as Loki, we get Alan Cumming, and I think he's one of the good things in this movie. He has a lot of energy in his performance. A lot of Later on, we see him in a lot of different disguises. Um, but, but early on, they, they don't play coy with it, when Loki gets his superpowers, so to speak, he looks like the mask, which just looks strange. He looks like a professional wrestler. Well, he looks like the mask with Darth Maul tattoos. Yeah, yeah, or the crow or something. It's, it's quite strange. <laughs> and uh, they use the cartoon thing to have him have the big, uh, big hands as he's doing shooting motions to shoot people. It's, um... And, and he gets angry that the mask is a, uh, a fake, but... What's really disturbing is they slice off Ben Stein's face and, and put it in the uh, the the replica mask display case. Yeah. Which I love that Ben Stein is just being Ben Stein. This is very disturbing. Yeah, he's I not faced by my it. Body back. <laughs> no, I did get a laugh when Loki finds out the mask is a fake, throws it at Ben Stein's face, it bounces off of him, and he just says, "Ow!" It you know at this time I think Ben Stein was still. In pop culture, you had um, he was in those Visine commercials. Takes the red out of your eyes. You could win wow. his money. He did yeah. <laughs> win Ben Stein's money. Um, I'm I'm sure because of nostalgia, he probably did um, you know did cameos on things referencing his part in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It was it was all around. So to see him do that continuity, and he also played this character again in the animated series, I think was sort of fun. Yeah, but it's it's like a real, it's a real crazy uh, bang up beginning with Loki going going nuts in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the museum uh, with his crazy with his crazy cartoon powers, uh, and then you know we get our title Son of the Mask, and then we just leave uh, we leave Edge City and all that stuff behind as. As a dog finds the mask in a river, and instead we go to Fringe City. Fringe City. Which I guess is the <laughs> metropolis to Edge City, Scotland. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's across the river or something, because sometimes you can see Edge City in the background. And, um... Yeah, where, where do we begin with the character of Tim Avery, played by Jamie Kennedy? It, it looks like his marriage is on the brink of a divorce. It's a strange place to start, what allegedly seems like a children's film. His, his wife really wants a baby, he doesn't. To try to make it up to her, he dirt, he makes a cartoon of the two of them kissing, which I don't know what that's supposed to accomplish. Um, he seems in love with his dog, and his dog has a huge sort of palatial room. His, his dog has than, a bunk bed. Right. Yes, a bunk bed. It, yeah, it's uh, the dog's name is Otis, and the, the dog in the first movie's name was Milo, so that's a little joke in there. So we can only assume after filming the dog was thrown off of a waterfall. Oh, you right, guys and, don't uh, know that. Oh, no, I, I, I told my wife that she got very angry at me in the yeah, making of Milo should. and Otis, <laughs> which was originally 
uh, some Japanese live action film that they sort of recut for the uh, Western market. Uh, they a lot of dogs died in the making of that film. Oh, I didn't. I can, know that. I can only hope that Otis was treated humanely in this in this film. But yeah, it's so weird. And so there's this there's this thing that we talked about this in the first film about how like the mask is is this crazy cartoony character that exists in a only slightly heightened version of the real world. But this movie is a cartoon. Yeah. We cut into that fantasy sequence where his wife just starts giving birth to baby after baby. All the camera angles are extreme. The camera never holds still in this movie. It is always moving. This film has the color palette of a late 90s Dr. Seuss live action movie. Yeah, they really try to distinct make a distinction between Edge City and Fringe City where it's all dark and stormy and then everything gets super bright, super I think it's I think they're trying to emulate the whole uh it's a cartoon world in real life. Look at how colorful everything is and and it's trying to provide some sort of subtle backdrop for the the ensuing comedy that happens later on. But I think also by making the the uh style of it so cartoony it makes it less shocking when a character turns into the mask he just sort of blends yeah exactly exactly to really popping um you know and that's both in color scheme and lighting and all these things and here you have you know in the the first movie even the rules of the mask right was that he could only put it on at night but but here um yeah i I guess it's it's different we'll we'll get into that but it's uh yeah you know they, they do spend time of um, well, they really the, the, set up his day job. Yeah. Oh, go on. Well, yeah, they really set up Tim's day job. So when we when we see Tim at home at his drafting table, the man can draw. Like the character is clearly a great draftsman and a great animator because he does make that animated flip book for his wife, which only seems to have about twenty pages in it, but nevertheless has almost a full minute and a half of animation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, he works at an animation studio, but he doesn't work as an animator, an artist, a designer. He works as a tour guide. Right. A tortoise so, so, guide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as as yes. the, the character of Torpedo Tortoise. Um and we're gonna we are going to do a tangent about this animation studio because I took copious notes. <laughs> but that's the reality this movie exists in. This guy who's an excellent draftsman and designer <clears throat> is a tour guide in an animation studio somehow. Again, this this depressed me because this has more parallels to real life about you know I I I work in the video game industry. I'm a special effects artist and and there's a lot of things in in that about. I went to school and I can do all this stuff, but I can't even get into the industry, so I'm just a tour guide. And a lot of that just kind of rings true to me in in terms of of how hard it is to get into some of these uh, creative industries. That was the that was the one bit of like kind of crazy hope that I had because there's a line very early on where he talks about how he's been trying to break into animation for like ten years, and. I have yeah. just passed the ten year mark with like a lot of my writing and and illustrating endeavors. I am technically farther along in that than he is in this movie, so I felt pretty good. But yeah, also it's um, it's interesting with the the family dynamic that the wife is sort of the the main breadwinner, which which does happen, but that's sort of different than what's stereotypical in movies. Um, 
She has a job where she's in a business suit, has to go on all these travels and all these things, all these business trips. And uh, but him, uh, it's, it was I was surprised to see Cal Penn was in this movie in a small part as his buddy. Um, I don't know if it's Jorge or George. Uh, uh no, they, and, uh, they they pronounce it Jorge. Even though he's Indian, okay. Um, yeah, and I don't know if that's a. I can't tell if that's a deliberate joke, or if the script was like, oh well, let's just hire any brown person. Like I, I don't know how I'm supposed to interpret this casting. That being said, Cal Penn is always a treat. I love that he's in this movie. Yeah, well, he doesn't working as a, a motion capture artist like Andy Serkis, but working for an animation studio that, as far as I can tell, only produces traditional animation. Which, even by the time this movie came out in 2005, seemed sort of um, dated as a, as a concept. I mean, yes, you still have 2D animation, but certainly by you had Toy Story sequels by this time. It was clear CG right. was sort of the main way for things to go. Um, and why not make him a 3D artist? I don't really... Other than, you know, the original mask was influenced by the uh, Tex Avery cartoons... Well, and that's a I'm thing that that's sure. a, and that's a thread that they they really continue in this. You know, even the you know the, the main character's name. You know, the, the Avery. Tim right? Avery. Yeah. Tim Avery. Yeah. So, and then throughout the whole movie, you have things like the like Alvy the baby watching cartoons and being influ- influenced by them. And same goes for the dog. And then they try to you know <laughs> uh, get at each other. So I think that they just try to keep that through line through the whole film. Yeah, but you know Tim yeah. wants to wants to become a you know professional animator, and he uh, so Steve Stephen Wright is his boss, Daniel Moss, who is this he's he's like a titan of animation, but they don't really like like if you're gonna make him a titan of animation, you would think like I guess he'd have to be based on like Chuck Jones or Walt Disney, or if you're gonna be really modern, kind of like Matt Groening. Um, and what's so crazy, so you have Stephen Wright in this over-the-top cartoony movie, and Stephen Wright plays his character completely straight. He doesn't even play it like a normal Stephen Wright role. Yeah, I would say it's even underplayed a bit. Um, and it... I don't know what... I mean, sometimes you see... the Maybe it's the stereotype of like the George Lucas type of someone who's very shy. Um... And, and sort of unassuming, but he, he uh, you know, Tim Avery works up the balls to to pitch him this thing, and um, and that's a great success for him, even though it doesn't mean well, if, that he quits his day job either. Well, I mean, his, well, what is his day job? Because he stops being a tour guide, and later on we see him doing development for animation, Um so it's 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 weird his his career progression, but yeah, he tries to pitch something. It doesn't it doesn't work. But there's going to be this big Halloween party that uh, his boss is going to be throwing. Uh, so you know he wants to go and and you know really make really make a good impression because he thinks it might it might get him closer to the the company's inner circle. Um, and you know he's supposed to be going as like a a, a murder victim like a murder victim Frankenstein, but he doesn't have a cost. He, he can't find the mask. Uh, so his wife says, well, what about that mask the dog's been playing with? And that's our catalyst to getting him in the mask. And it is so weird. Cause like in the first, in the first movie, Jim Carrey just puts it on. 
And right. this movie seems to jump yeah. through so many hoops to justify this. <laughs> both times, both times, yeah, both times. Jamie mm-hmm. Kennedy wears the mask. It's in a very precarious. Like he never would have put it on unless, <laughs> unless all these crazy circumstances happen. Unless this Rube Goldberg plot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, he his wife has to work on an account, so she can't go to the party. So Jamie goes to the party, and while. While he's driving the vehicle, which is flagrantly irresponsible, he puts on the mask, and he turns into the most hideous, ghoulish creature in film. Jamie Kennedy as the mask is terrifying. <laughs> the mask with hair. Yeah. Oh, that, that plastic hair. I mean, that, that's I, that's almost the worst part of it for me. But the other thing, I mean, you look at the brilliance of the, the mask in the original film, and then it... <clears throat> was frankly really sort of like a minimal d- design almost like the right. uh, the pennywise the clown design in the it miniseries from the 90s where it allowed the actor to use a lot of his face and be very expressive and here it it looks like a halloween mask you have this weird like jay leno big chin on it and then jamie kennedy's voice for the mask it's um you know jim carrey was so manic and and we talked a little bit about the challenges how do you follow up jim carrey well with this he just is like, hello, I'm the mask, hi. Like, it, it, he sounds like a game show host. He's doing this, it, like, low-key Robert Goulet impression. Everything he says right. is like this. Yeah. And, and it's, like, it's, his it's kind of so big, his mouth can barely move. That's that's the thing that bothers me the, the most about it, is that <laughs> the... and But I was thinking the teeth are pretty, pretty big for Jim Carrey's version. I just think that it maybe came down to Jim Carrey being, you know, this, like, really able to act through the makeup and make his mouth move mm. big and, and wide and get all these expressions out and they probably tried the same thing with 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 this makeup and he it looks like he just couldn't open his mouth really and all of his dialogue as the mask seems to be dub, redubbed you know because he yeah. just can't speak with it and i think that's a, a big part of it it just does not look like he's able to to actually get as much of a performance out of that makeup as Jim Carrey was, and that's and that's why and that combined with the low key approach of of his mask just kind of makes the mask on him not that interesting. Low key approach. I see what you did there. Um, yeah. So so this this is when a lot of these sort of inexplicable choices in this movie come to a head because you know, everything is so cartoonish and over the top that when he starts breaking the laws of physics all throughout this party. No one reacts to it at all. <laughs> and then there's also this we- there's this weird thing. So there's this woman dressed as like a sexy a sexy cat person in this like leather outfit, and mm-hmm. he he comes up he comes up to her, and like no one's interacting. He comes up to her, he wraps her up like a mummy, then spins her out of the wrappings. But when she's spun out, it's the same costume, but now it's red. But now everyone is paying attention to her. It's like the color of her costume was the only thing that was keeping her from interacting with anyone else at the party. Well, and, and this scene is clearly in the analog to the original of the Coco Bongo Club. And in that, you have the, the memorable dance scene, which is one on one Jim Carrey and Cameron Diaz dance to a, a musical number. I hate Pachinko. Some part. Yeah, and, and there's some cartoon effects uh, in there. Here, you know, it, it's like they try to do that times 100 because there's a lounge <laughs> scene at the party where it's can't take my eyes off of you. And um, 
has the mask, he's like, this isn't, this guy sucks, it's not that exciting. And he does sort of this mashup thing that does that same song in like five different genres with the, the chorus girls and five million costume changes. And it's a full-on musical it, number. It, it is, and it's it, it's too much, it's too busy, I don't think it's yeah. really funny. It, yeah, and I was... It's musically I, interesting, it's, but... Yeah, it's just trying way too hard, I think. And just mm-hmm. watching it, it just it it does feel devoid of a lot of the, you know, it doesn't have the same energy really or spark as as that entire you know Coco Bongo scene in 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 the original. It just it just comes across as too forced really, and it's just it's just kind of bland as much as it's trying as hard as it's trying to <laughs> to to make something interesting. And then you know the mask being such a libidinous character when the part when the party's over or possibly right after the musical number we really don't see anything that happens at the party after the musical number uh, he comes home still in the mask and with the mask on has sex with his wife. Is that would you consider that a rape? That's what sort of came into my mind. Well, no, no, this, she. Well, this, I mean, he's he's still she, she's him, into it, but even if he's heightened, she's still her. She she does she does she does consent but we also get like that weird right. double on times like what's gotten into you let's find out that's Which, fine. Just, <laughs> when you see them in silhouette that's just so creepy yeah not just that it's um i mean this is where some of the more disturbing themes of the film come to the forefront because he was wearing the mask that makes the the kid have qualities of the mask which is a pretty heady concept for what seems to be going for a sort of more simplistic movie. And that also makes it, you know, the, the whole uh, conflict of the first film is, is the guy going to put on the mask again or not? Because when he does crazy shit happens. But if the baby is imbued with the power of the mask, crazy shit just happens all the time for no reason. Right. And they also just take the mask away at this point, because when he wakes up the next day, the mask falls out of his hand, and his dog just takes it away and buries it. And Jamie Kennedy as the mask will be forgotten until the climax of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think that he he's only the mask in two major sequences in the film. And mm-hmm. that that's that's kind of crazy. So I just sent you guys a link um, to something that I ha- heard about for years but only discovered fairly recently. Um, the director, Lawrence Guterman, uh, when that... Um, scene happens where the son of the mask is born they had always talked about um you know we had a scene that we'd planned where we showed the conception uh we showed what happens there are mask sperm and they impregnate the egg yes and it's showing these crazy you know and they're they're showing how that works and and i was just like oh my god really like were they uh-huh. And then that goes to the whole thing of them really not can thinking about this as a kids movie, but but more like a weird raunchy kind of thing. And and turns out that they got pretty far along in the uh, in the CG production of this. And the link I sent you is wow. a previs I found of this sequence where it shows it kind of does this zoom in thing, and and then you see what mask sperm look like. Oh wow, that's. That's insane. I can't... I mean, and, and at this time when they were doing this film, in 2005, CG effects were still pretty expensive. And so they, they must have spent, you know, could have easily spent like a million or two dollars doing previs, doing work to plan out this sequence, do some modeling, do some concept artwork. 
for, for things that just don't get included. That's, uh... Well, you, well, you the, talk about the CGI, and... So we, we, we always use Jurassic Park as a benchmark, but you know this is over 10 years after both Jurassic Park and The Mask. <laughs> and overall, yeah. the CGI really isn't any better. And some of the, some of the right. primitive special effect features of The Mask still show up in this movie. To the point where I feel like somebody had to be deliberately trying to reproduce those, those animation artifacts. But it could also be an accident. This movie is so inexplicable. Like, the only time the CGI really works is when it's something, like, when it's a giant cartoon prop, because they sort of lean into how fake it looks, and that that's really satisfying, like, particularly when Loki turns his hand into a giant uh, utility hammer. Like, that looks great, but it looks great because it looks so fake. No, I, I do like the, the conceit of his wife goes on a business trip, so Tim is alone with the baby, I think, for an entire week. And, and he's sort of freaking out about it, and that yeah. felt like a very real sort of uh, moment. Um, and he's got a lot going on because everyone just assumed that all the crazy shit that Jamie Kennedy did at the party was his pitch. So now he's been moved up to the second floor of the office, and he's trying to develop this, like, mask TV series. Right. And and while all this is going on as well, the, uh, the dog... You know, and this sort of feels like something a lady of the tramp um, feels ignored because of the baby. Well, and, well, the dog's room is now the baby's room. <laughs> oh, that! Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, that's that, that too. So, the dog puts on the mask, and it, a lot of this movie turns into like Wella Coyote and the Roadrunner between the dog and the baby. At the same time, I, I like the thing where uh, the mother makes a big deal: don't show the kid television, and he puts on old cartoons. And you watch these clips of these old cartoons, and you're like, this is much more enjoyable than what I'm watching right now in Son of the Mask. And the baby is imitating what's in the cartoons, at one point literally turning into Woody Woodpecker. Oh, yeah, and, and reproducing entire Michigan J. Frog musical numbers. Oh, yeah. To the point where they even, they even, and I kind of like this as a tribute, although I wish it wasn't so on the nose, when <laughs> the baby's singing the Michigan rag and... Uh, Tim runs carrying the baby to his neighbor's house and the baby stops singing the moment the door opens and he's trying to convince the neighbor that the baby can sing just like the guy in One Froggy Evening. Yeah, they have a whole cartoon um, you know, dream sequence where it shows the baby watching that cartoon and then having a dream sequence where he, he figures out, oh, if I do this, I'm going to get rid of dad and they're going to think that he's crazy and send him to an insane asylum. It's going to be great. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> it's just really something else. It's, it's, and it's all over the place. And it's, and like the rivalry between the dog and, and the baby, I feel like there's something there, but at the same time, <clears throat> the, do, the, the animated version of the dog is such a terrifying looking big daddy Roth type character design. <laughs> Like again, it looks like it looks like it would kill people in any other movie, and it's trying to kill a baby. Right. Yeah, it reminds me of. It looks a bit like Rat Fink to me. Like yep. just all the hair, all the teeth, the eyes, and and you get this wonderful two D animated sequence of the dog, I think, dreaming or something, wanting to launch the baby away in a rocket. And for some reason, seeing that kind of dog versus baby action as a two D cartoon isn't as offensive as the CG stuff, you know, oh, the baby is in peril, 
but wait, maybe not really. And that, and in the close-ups with the baby when he's talking in the deep voice, hello, mama, daddy. Right? Uh, I think, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that looks pretty good. But anytime you have a wide shot of the baby dancing around and everything, it just looks uh, horrendous. Horrifying. And it's, it, it's the uncanny valley with the that's, face. That's why, it, it, yeah. It's the, yeah, it's the, the weird physics, and I, I know you have a lack of physics with the mask, but um, we get a scene later where Loki kidnaps the baby and they're playing Twister, and that's just a horrifying image. <laughs> like, where it's like five million limbs all intertwined. Because it's Super Twister, the game that nobody beats Loki at. Oh, so so we yeah, so back back to Loki. So Loki is still traveling the world for for the mask. So it turns out Loki is technically on a mission from Gad. Only in this case, the God is Odin, played by Bob Hoskins, who's buried under so much makeup right. and he's putting on such a voice you can't tell it's him. Um, so yeah, he's like he is trying to redeem himself in the eyes of Odin by getting his mischief making mask back. And he's at an antique shop, and he thinks he finds the mask. It's another cheap replica. The first one was made in Hong Kong. This one's made in uh, made in Afghanistan. Uh, and working at the shop is SNL and Mr. Show alumni Jerry Miner, who I was so happy to see in this movie. But he gets possessed by Odin and delivers a message to Loki that a child has been born of the mask. And... Loki better find both and fix this problem. <laughs> and I just like, I like Jerry Minor. He is a great uh, comedic actor who sadly does not show up nearly enough. Hmm. And I like, too, this part of the film reminds me a little bit of uh, the original Terminator in that he finds a list of, of in this case, not <laughs> Sarah true. Connor, but, you know, everyone conceived, you know, uh, on that night at this hospital, he manages to narrow it down that much and he has to sort of go through list by list to see is this uh is this the possessed baby yeah he visits and, all these different houses in various disguises doing various antics and alan cummings really trying man like he's he manages to whip up that manic jim carrey style of energy is it as yeah, funny cummings. Not, not really but it's it's not for lack of trying and i like that yeah. he acts like a spoiled teenager when talking to odin like well alan cummings he is a brilliant gifted actor but in that classic like British way, no matter what he's doing, he never phones it in. No, I'm, yeah. I'm going to go on record yeah. now and say that he's the best thing in this movie. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, like Bob Hoskins isn't in, in it a whole lot, but I, I think he for what he does, it's he does what he's ta- asked to do. And yeah, you know, Loki in this film is is entertaining. He does a good job with what he has, and you can tell, like, even though the material is, is not great, he is acting his ass off. He's Because tr- he has that spark in his eye, that mischievous spark, and he kind oh, of yeah. tries to... And I think that comes across in a lot of what he does in the film. And in his search for the baby, my two favorite bits that he does, I love it when he does, like, the 1950s vacuum cleaner salesman <laughs> with the crazy-ass vacuum. But the yes. other one is when he the disguises plumber. himself as a Girl Gosh. Scout. That's so be- that that's so disturbing that it becomes beautiful and hilarious. It immediately like uh, it, it reminded me of what is it? Is it Loaded Weapon Two? The uh, Two, um, where you see what Tim Curry uh, as the Wilderness oh. Girl. Yeah, <laughs> it, it had flashbacks of that scene. <laughs> Oh, yeah, but 
Eventually, he does discover that it's the Avery baby <laughs> is the baby with the uh, supernatural powers. After we get an Exorcist reference, where oh he, my god, he, yeah, where he did sort of a house call and and, just, and I don't know how he can't tell right away that it's a mask baby or not, but he comes to the conclusion that it's not, and uh, he's he's sort of getting ready to go. He's looking at his rear view mirror. And meanwhile, Jamie Kennedy's trying to drive the baby to somewhere. I don't recall where. Uh, he's going to take and him to a doctor and an exorcist. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, right, right. And uh, and the baby's head spins completely around, and he vomits neon green mask-colored vomit everywhere in the car. And that's what tips and Loki as, off. Yeah, and Loki uh, it's a little bit of a hint, and he goes, well, oh, oh, this must be the kid. Well, let's right. talk about this what is... doesn't tip Loki off, because... Before this, there's this crazy ass sequence where the dog has set up a Rube Goldberg device to kill the baby, <laughs> but the baby does a switcheroo, so the dog goes through the device, but it destroys the entire house. When Loki walks in on that scene of chaos and sees all the right. destruction with a normal looking baby in the middle of it, that does not tip him off. No, and we also get it doesn't at one point the dog with the mask on, starts drawing storyboards for a cartoon. Well, he draws his blueprints for the Rube his, Goldberg device, for but the it's movie, done yeah, in a yeah. Wile E. Coyote-type mold. But, uh, yeah, so there's a there's a cart, there's a there's a, a, a chase as, um, uh, as, you know, as Tim drives into the city. He's being chased by Loki on foot. Uh, he, uh, Loki ends up sort of diverting him into an alley. So... Something happens during this chase. This chase scene, because during this chase scene, a police officer also gets possessed by Odin to deliver Loki a message. You know that he's on borrowed time, and I want to point. And so this, and so the um, the police officer is. Uh, I don't know the name of the actress, but she's an African American woman. I just want to point out that in this movie, only two African American actors have lines, and they both get possessed by the Norse god Odin. <laughs> And deliver most of their dialogue as Odin. It's kind of crazy. I, 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 for one second, I wanted to go back to the bodily fluids in this film because that that you know the exorcist scene with the with the giant pea soup mask vomit is not the, the grossest thing in this film. It's oh. it's it's the scene where you know it's the, it's the urine scene, the pee scene, the baby pee scene where they're oh, he, he, yes. he's getting peed in the face by a giant stream of pee. And then another and then stream, multiple streams, of and then pee. and one and a second one and the third one and a fourth one sprouts up, and I'm like, what? What is he seeing down there? That like, what is causing this? And then there's this giant gush of of urine that sprays onto his face, and that's when I would thought like, what is this movie rated again? What is happening? At, at least it's a sterile liquid. Uh, <laughs> we can be thankful for that. But it, still, it's oh. Yeah, but and and so when he when Lo, when Loki gets gets uh, Tim and the baby cornered, uh, you know he does this whole thing where he's like the the child was born of the mask and he has the he has, the, he has my he has my powers and, and Jamie Kennedy's only response is oh that's how come he's able to pee like that. <laughs> so the movie won't let us forget that scene happened, but then Jamie Kennedy gets possessed by Odin. And then takes away Loki's powers, but then the mask baby gets crazy cartoon arms and beats Loki to death with uh, with dumpsters, <laughs> which doesn't kill him. So, like, when Loki's made mortal, 
it doesn't seem to raise the stakes for Loki because he's he's no more vulnerable than he was when he was immortal. But this is when the movie has another weird, inexplicable turn. So you know, Stanley. Uh, after this, like after the the baby saves uh, Tim's life, they actually kind of connect and they have a nice, pleasant evening at home, and they both fall asleep, uh, cuddling each other, and it's really an, an adorable father son moment. Um, but apparently at some point during this whole night, the baby snuck back into his own crib. So Loki sneaks into the house. So again, Loki has had all of his powers taken away, but magic still works. So Loki casts a spell (laughs) to summon Odin, which implies that anyone could do this if they had the right words and the right runes and the right material components. Oh, and Odin is even impressed that Loki did the spell by himself to the incantations. Um, That's very true. And and Odin, in a, in a horrible attempt to add stakes to the script, gives Loki all of his power back, but then gives him 24 hours to solve this problem, or else he's doomed. And when Loki kidnaps the baby... He then he gives a forty-eight hour ultimatum to Tim, <laughs> so, knowing that he has less yes. than twenty-four hours to fix the problem to get the mask back. And this is we get we get another great performance from from Tim Cummings because when he's talking about how they're going to have to meet, he goes on this whole like tangent about do we meet here? Is that Red cliche? Do I want to do it because yes. it's cliche? <laughs> And then the mother comes home and sees the chaos and sees that the baby is is missing. And this is when we get another disturbing scene because earlier on, at one point, uh, Alan uh, Loki disguised himself as Tim's wife. So when Tim's oh. wife comes home, he thinks that it, it that it's Loki. So he beats the hell out of her. Yes. Yeah. It, and like, and That's... it's not. And unlike every other fight scene, it's not cartoonish violence. Like it no. looks like he's trying to beat someone. Trying to ba- try to bash her head in. It's pretty damn disturbing. Oh yeah, it. It's again another one of those things. Why? What is this scene doing in this movie? <laughs> also disturbing is as it goes towards sort of the inevitable confrontation between uh, Tim and Loki. We get the um, Tim gets the mask back on, and he makes a, a masked version of a car. It has giant teeth. It's it's the second most disturbing thing in this movie. <laughs> and the wife also looks at him with the mask and the fake hair and says, "You look hot." Yeah, she she's into it. <laughs> she's very into it. But yeah, there's a crazy there's a crazy cartoon chase which is actually kind of fun to the point where they even play yeah. up the cartoon logic like how are we going to find Loki? Well, why don't we look over there and just like in a cartoon there's big neon signs that say this Loki way, this dummy. way secret yeah. Hot down. Yeah. And inexplicably the movie ends in a boxing or uh, a boxing ring uh where Tim is the mask fights Loki uh while while the the while his wife tries to get the baby out of this giant cartoon cage. And it's it's oh it's it's just it's just weird and the dog bites Loki in the crotch and his Odin eyeballs go all the way to space. Oh yeah, his eyeballs yes. yeah his eyeballs go into space. <laughs> which is that's the one moment where I laughed out loud because that is such an so over the top extreme version of an eyeball bug out gag. I, I couldn't help but fall in love with it. 
but yeah, it's it's just a really kind of just disturbing fight as they just box with each other. Uh, I do like that they do a bigger version of Jim Carrey pulling all the guns out of his pockets, where not only does he pull all these guns out of his pockets, he pulls out a battleship, and a nuclear submarine, and an intercontinental ballistic missile. <laughs> but yeah, and it's, and it's kind of crazy, but then, then Odin shows up, and we get suddenly all this pathos is crammed into one scene where 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 Tim like solves Loki and Odin's father-son dilemma and then right. oh you just wanted the mask that will solve all this okay here you go and just <laughs> gives it away yeah. well it's interesting because it just shows like how how un- I don't know if it's a it's it's somebody that doesn't even care about the mask or want to put on the mask that you have, you know, in the, in the original in Jim Carrey, you have that conflict where he's like, I need this or I don't need this. It takes him the whole film to figure out how to give it up. And, and this one is just, the mask is inconsequential, really. I mean, Tim wears it twice just kind of because he does it to save his son. And he just turn and he doesn't turn into this love crazy wild man like that you see in the first film. He just almost, it's like he's low key just because he just wants to be a good dad and deep down and probably doesn't know how. And, Somehow, when he's the mask, he just becomes the dad get, that can solve all the problems and do everything, and he, and that's why he's not wild and crazy. He's just kind of reserved, <laughs> which is really strange for the mask. But that's kind of what he does, and so it's interesting to see him just at the end be like, "I don't care. Let's end this movie. Here's the mask. We'll be done with it." And he's had no character journey because he even gives this whole speech about how, "Son, you helped me grow up." No, he didn't. You are no different now than you right. were right. in the first scene. Not only that, we get a terrible stinger in the movie where it goes in for a close-up of the baby who, like, talks or winks or does something. Well, the wife says, by the way, we're going to have another kid. Maybe it's a girl. And the baby just kind of vaguely looks at the camera and winks. Yeah. And then we get the most placeholder song on the soundtrack during (laughs) the credits. Which, actually, I've got... uh, I've got... I've got the credits uh, here. Let me see if I can find this uh, this song. Uh, and there are so many songs credited uh, in these credits. Oh, yeah. We Are All Family, uh, which right. is written and produced by Sven Spiker and Bob Stein, performed by Derek McKeith and Friends. This song is only s- slightly better than Hanging Out With My Family from Birdemic. <laughs> Jeez. And it has the inexplicable That's... line, There's a uh, even our dog is on the family tree, which implies something pretty disturbing. Ooh. It does. Uh, speaking of disturbing, I, I was reading Roger Ebert's review of Son of the Mask, which he gave one and a half out of four stars. And uh, he says, I especially do not like baby Alfie, who behaves not according to rules for babies, but more like a shape-shifting creature from a Japanese anime. There may be a way this could be made funny, but Son of the Mask doesn't find it. Yeah, you know, that's part of me wonders, like, maybe Jamie Kennedy's hair, was that maybe meant to be an anime thing? Was, like, at some point... Because this movie feels so exquisite corpse. If you told me that at some point in this movie's development, 
the idea was to have Jamie Kennedy's character be into anime, and that would reflect how he'd behave as the mask, which he kind of mm. does. There's something Bashonen about him. But then that got dropped without revising much of the script. I would totally believe you. Yeah, at the end, I just sort of got the feeling of, like, why bother with with this movie? It It tries too hard. It has a lot of effects. It's not as inventive or funny as the first one. I like Alan Cummings some. I think uh, when we see Bob Hoskins in his full makeup and, and uh, armor at the end, I think that's a cool imagery. Uh, the dog is okay, but yeah, I, I would give Son of a Mask a sequel no. Um, I, Matt, I, I... This movie is so crazy and so inexplicable. I think this has become my new favorite terrible movie. I'm giving this a sequel, <laughs> yes. Because I okay. want to see how much crazier a third one would be and what hoops they would jump through or what continuity they would <laughs> violate to get sure. another person in the mask. <laughs> how about you, Ryan? Uh, I, I think I would say sequel yes for some of the same reasons, just because, yes, it's a terrible, terrible movie, but it's it's one that has to be seen to be believed, almost. And, <laughs> That's uh, true, and I wish I would have seen this with a big crowd of people, I think, right. friends and stuff. And, I want and, to share it funnier. with people. Right, and, see, yeah, and, yeah. Seeing it make, and seeing it makes you appreciate the original that much more. <laughs> So I before True. before we move on to our next segments, there's something I really want to talk about, which is the animation studio that Tim works for. Okay. Oh so, yes. So so I took t- copious notes and I I went through. I am trying to figure out what kind of cartoons this studio makes, <laughs> because the only cartoon we see that they make is at the end of the movie when they're making Tim's cartoon about oh, no. a dog and yeah, a baby stop motion. who compete for their owner's attention. Uh. Which, that seems such like an old school idea, but what the hell. Um, this movie is a, a crazy anachronism. So, these, I went through, these are the shows that this animation studio makes. Torpedo Tortoise, but we all knew that, which seems to be about a put-upon tortoise with a jetpack who has to deal with the stress of modern life, which includes a lot of hospital bills. Uh, a show called Siamese Popes. Which looks like a Spumco cartoon. Okay. A show called Bad Dolphins. I have no idea what this show is about. Just that it's about dolphins who wear clothes. Uh, Lincoln's Mites, which is apparently about a show about head lice that live on Abraham Lincoln's head. And a show called Cactus Jack, which seems to be a mundane show about a cowboy. Wow. And, and I look at this, and like, we never see any of these shows, and yet, I think all of these could have run for two seasons on Adult Swim. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, that sounds very Adult Swim swimmy to me. <laughs> but that doesn't seem to be the type of show that they make. Like, they don't seem to be right. making stoner age, a young adult and adult cartoons. So I don't know, I don't understand what version of the art form this studio exists in. If you want to be depressed, uh, here's a bit of trivia. So, Son of the Mask came out in 2005. Yes. Guess where it stood on the box office rankings for domestic gross? By domestic, I mean United States and Canada. 57th? Ooh. Nope. I'd have to know how many movies there were on the list 
Uh, There's 547 movies on the list. Ooh, wow. I'd say 180. <laughs> it's uh, in between. It's 125. There you go. Huh. So it made more money than the uh, all-black remake of The Honeymooners, which I forgot even happened. Um, it made more money than... Uh, these are a lot of indie films. Than, than the Uwe Boll film Alone in the Dark. Wow. However... It grossed less than uh, George Romero's Land of the Dead. It grossed less than uh, Pooh's Heffalump movie. I didn't even know that one came out. Um, it's, it's largely forgotten. Yeah. And, you know, to give you an idea of 2005, which was a huge year at the box office, you know, some of the top movies that year were Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, Harry Potter, Goblet of Fire, Ep- Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith, Episode Three, Batman, Be- Batman Begins. Movie. Yeah. Batman Begins, of course, of course, yes. How could I forget Batman Begins? Um, Saw 2, another... You know, when I saw Saw 2 in a theater, uh, I almost got my tires in my car slashed. There was a a fight that broke (laughs) out in the parking lot. Um, So if Jigsaw had you trapped in the dungeon with a TV screen playing this movie, and the only way you could hit the stop button was by cutting a remote in a plastic bag out of somebody else's stomach, would you do it? Oh, man. That's Mask uh, 3 for you. And Jigsaw uh, yeah, is I, green and has big teeth. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to play I'd, a game. Uh, yeah, I... I think about it. I, I do think there's enough weird stuff in this film. It could make for uh, a good podcast, like uh, what what they did with um, Grown Ups, where they watched the same movie every week for a year. Yeah, every episode and, is about that. <laughs> Matt, yeah, it never is about that. Watching some of the masks. I had again. the exact same thought, and I followed it up with this movie is packed with so much inexplicable stuff that if you did sure. what, if you did a Son of the Mask minute. You'd really have to break it up yeah. into fifteen-second slices. Yeah, right. <laughs> Son of the Mask half minutes. Yeah. What Not must this idea. script look like? It must be the most. It has to be one of those five hundred pages Dan Aykroyd fever dream scripts. Probably got an endless amount of revisions that got in there because you know that they surely had some sort of scripts Certainly. scripts created for like a Jim Carrey mask too, and how. How did any ideas from that warp and evolve into whatever this ended up being? Well, the baby tested well. Let's have, but the mask didn't. Let's have less of the mask and more of the baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing real quick, then I'll move on to a few more of these segments. Um, here uh, in college, I got to take a tour of the sort of Cartoon Network studios in Atlanta, Georgia. And, um, <laughs> and it, it just looked like any other office with cubicles. There was more drawings and stuff, like cartoon stuff on people's desks, but... You know, it was a pretty mm-hmm. professional environment, but um, what's interesting is the guy, one of the main guys we talked to, just got hired as head of live action production, because this was during that brief window when Cartoon Network said, you know, we're not going to focus on making original cartoons, we're going to do live action things. Hey, who could forget Out of Jimmy's Head? It was a modern classic. <laughs> well, and they gave Weirdo Yankovic a deal to write and direct in a, a live action sort of kids thing. And then they like pulled it out from under him when their other live action stuff didn't do that well, Aww. which was too bad. But yeah, it was just a real yeah. strange time period to be there. It was also when they animated the last season of um, Oh uh, Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, Aww. in Adobe in Flash. 
Oh. Because they did that to cut down cost, but it actually looks pretty good for Flash animation, but they right. were complaining that there were so many shitty Flash cartoons on the internet, you couldn't admit you made a show with Flash. Right. Because they would think it would be bad. Um, and now, Flash, I think, is only supposed to be alive on the internet for a few more years. Right. They're, yeah, they're going to they're gonna phase it out. Are they going to preserve all those Flash games? <laughs> um. There's a lot oh, of interesting know. content that's going to be lost in that transition, and that, that yeah. really bothers no, it me. Is. I'll, I'll never forget, on September 11th, I didn't have class, um, but I did go to Newgrounds, and all the crazy uh, Flash games and animations people were posting on September 11th was very strange. Oh, I bet. Sort of nightmarish. I almost wanted to go back and watch some of those again. Um, Potential future podcast idea, media responses, like entertainment mm. media responses to 9-11. Yeah, there's a uh, lot. Spider-Man, yeah. Oh, there's a lot. Uh, Men in Black 2 originally had a scene where a spaceship came out of the uh, two towers. You don't cry when it rains. It rains because you cry. Baby. Woof. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so oh, let's do pitch a sequel. I have one really quick uh, thing before yes. that. Oh, yes. I, I did want to bring this up and mention it. I... One thing in this in Son of the Mask that I actually really do appreciate is the fact that they got Randy Edelman to do the score, which uh, he did the score for the original, and they got mm-hmm. him back to do the score for Son of the Mask. So I do like that um, you know continuity between films in terms of composers because that 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 made it a little bit more worth uh, stomachable. <laughs> he does bring back that mask theme. A exactly. Little bit. Um, yeah. This movie is seven minutes shorter than the original. It doesn't yeah, it feel that way. That's hard to believe. Wow. Yeah, that is hard to believe. Wow. Especially because this has a lot of credits, I bet, with all the special effects work. <laughs> um, okay, pitch a sequel. Uh, something I had in mind is I, I would think you would... Uh, I, I would I would do a prequel. I'd have it focus on Alan coming as Loki, and it would be him creating the mask. Huh. And it would be all be set on uh, Norse mythology, say, you know, Bob Hoskins in a bigger part. And uh, it would it would end with him, you know, letting loose the mask. Maybe it would end like where the first movie begins, where he tosses the mask, and it floats down a river, much oh. like Baby Moses to Edge City. <laughs> Have you seen the deleted scenes from the from the original? No. Yeah, where they've got the the Vikings like finding the mask and burying it in the chest. That. Uh, oh really? Yeah, huh. it's like a Lord of the Rings esque huh. prologue kind of deal. Interesting. Um, I, I did. I, I don't have the the DVD I got for this was just a double feature with the first film. It didn't have any special things on it. But I've heard the Son of the Mask has twenty five deleted scenes on the DVD. I'm gonna have to track this down. Let me pull yeah. the DVD right here and see. Oh, oh, Ryan's getting the DVD off the shelf. Yes, I have it. It does actually. Oh man, this DVD's got. So this is where most of the things that I've probably found out or were in so yes deleted scenes storyboard and art galleries uh there's a chow bella hollywood's pampered pooches uh feature at <laughs> creating son of the mask digital diapers and dog bites paw prints and baby steps on the set of son of the mask and there's even a commentary with jamie kennedy director larry guterman and writer lance kaze which I believe that commentary is where they mentioned that they had the scene with the mask sperm, but that scene is not in the deleted scenes. So that's why for I years I was like, "Wow, where is that scene? I want to know what what the crap, <laughs> what they were doing with that." 
I gotta get this DVD. I need to see those scenes. I need to hear that commentary. Right, and if you get the digital version, this is not. This is only on DVD. I, I, I've, you know, I I don't know if I'm ashamed to admit it, but I have looked for this on Blu-ray before, and it's obviously not on Blu-ray. Um, and if you do get it digitally, it is it is currently only in standard definition. <laughs> they have not bothered to make it high def, but the DVD does have a surprising amount of special features. And I'll send a, I'll put a link to this in the chat, Thrasher, if you want to get it, because it's specifically the New Line Platinum series release. Yep. Yeah, it's got Ooh, like a little sh- has, it's a shiny cover. Um, yeah, I mean, New Line was really one of the first companies to embrace DVD and have all sorts of special features. Um, For which I am thankful. Right. So uh, that's, that's my pitch of sequel. Um... Ryan, did you have something in mind? I did. I, I actually came prepared for this because I knew I was going to have to do it. So, nice. Okay. Um, uh, so here's my pitch. Uh, Hell, goddess of the underworld, wants to claim the power of the mask for herself, and she steals the mask and banishes Odin and Loki to the depths of the underworld, which consumes a lot of the, of the mask's power. Uh, but in the ensuing chaos, Odin is able to send the mask the depowered mask to a hidden location on Earth, and Loki is able to send a beacon to the now teenage Alvi Avery, who has suppressed his mask powers and is ashamed of them. He does really wants no part in this. Um, but then, once he finds out that uh, you know the Earth's going to be taken over or whatever by hell, uh, he reluctantly tries to face her and fails to defeat her. Although he does discover the location of the mask. Uh, but because he's born of the mask, he can't actually use the mask. And Odin appears and tells him he needs to find a worthy person to wear it to help defeat her. Someone who's worn it before, Stanley Ipkiss. And I would call it Wrath of the Mask. Mm, cool. The Thrasher? So I was, so it, with all the craziness in this movie, with how stuffed this movie was, I was angry that Tim's wife never got to wear the mask. <laughs> like this, this movie was 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 begging for that, but it didn't yeah. happen. So what like I the so what I want to do, man. So uh, so what I want to do is mom of the mask. Yeah, mom. <laughs> 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 mask. Oh man, actually, that's a better title than what I was thinking. Maybe I maybe I should do mom of the mask. So so my thought is for for my sequel uh, is that. Uh, after after this, Loki has become Odin's favorite son because they've re, they've reconnected, and now now Thor is jealous. Mm. So Thor <laughs> wants to show how awesome he is. So Thor uh, Thor th- tries to start uh, wants to sort of wants to show how badass he is. So uh, Thor says, "Well, whenever I wanted to impress Dad before, I just slayed a frost giant." So while trying to go on a frost giant killing spree, Thor releases all these frost giants, and they start assaulting Midgard. Uh, and in all the chaos, uh, the mask, uh, the mask, oh, and Thor, and Thor steals the mask and is dumb enough to put it on. So we have crazy libidinous mask Thor. Yeah. Uh, and so, well, we need, we need someone to stop this craziness on Midgard. But for some reason, we're not allowed to directly interfere. So Loki has to find somebody <laughs> to be a vessel for his power, uh, and, uh, and solve this frost giant problem. And you know what? What the hell? He's he uh, he zaps. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, he zaps uh, Tanya Avery, giving her mask powers. But she turns into a cartoon character that's kind of half Betty Boop, half Red from the Wolf and Red cartoons. And essentially, that's her power: is that she is so quote unquote hot, she melts the frost giants. 
Whoa. So anytime she attacks them, it's not a physical fight. She does a weird set piece musical number, and at the climax, the frost giant just kind of gets inexplicably destroyed. And this kind of goes on and on and on and on and on until she tricks Thor into taking the mask off. Thor gets pulled out of Midgard to be punished. Um, and her powers are taken away as well. Not that the problem's solved, but now the mask is back on Earth. Uh, so who's going to get it next? Let's go ahead and leave that sequel hook in there. And yeah, I'll go ahead, I'll call, go ahead and call it Mom of the Mask. <laughs> Although I was really tempted to call it uh, Mask the Undiscovered Country, just for the hell of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The uh oh, what is it? Mask Journey to San Francisco. What's that one called? With, uh, <laughs> Voyage Home. Voyage Home, yeah. The, Journey the to search San for Francisco. Spock. That's stupid. The search for Spock. Very good. Um cool. Well, now we're moving on to what you're watching. Um I got to see a, a comedy recently that was better than I thought, but also different than I thought from the marketing and I'm talking about Snatched. With uh-huh. Goldie Hawn and Amy Schumer. It was funny. I recently started watching Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, and it's reignited my appreciation for Goldie Hawn. That's a movie I'd like to see. That's right. She was in that for a while. Um, this movie, Snatched, it's about a... Uh, well, first off, like the trailer just made it seem like it was crazy about them getting kidnapped. And that's, that's part of it. More of it is sort of like a survival movie, but it reminds me of a 90s film because it takes over 30 minutes to set up the premise of them going on vacations. Um, so you get <laughs> to know the characters a bit. It's directed by Jonathan Levine, who has directed... Um, oh, movies like The Night Before... Uh, some some stuff here. The movie 50-50 with Seth Rogen uh, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, which is pretty good um and and this it's just the setting of them going to ecuador and then uh being you know kidnapped by these terrorists for ransom money is an interesting storyline and i think i think the best joke in it and it's not much of a spoiler is uh they find a phone they manage to break out of the back of this truck they're thrown into uh, while they're getting, while the guy's getting gas, they uh, get out of the trunk and they uh, go and, and make a phone call to the U.S. Um, whatever the embassy US consulate, consulate. Yeah, embassy, yeah. And they said, well, "Well, can you send some guys to rescue us?" And they're like, "Oh, we don't really do that, but if you can find your way to the nearest, because uh, they get taken to Colombia." And they said, "If you can find your way to the U.S. embassy in Bogota, Colombia, then we can we can help you." But um, other than that, good luck. <laughs> And that seemed that struck me as pretty realistic, uh, and it's it's funny. It's not hilarious. It's nice to see Goldie Hawn on screen again, um, and there's a bit of Amy Schumer nudity, which I found surprising. So snatched, hmm. I would mildly recommend it. Um, Thrasher, what's something you've been watching? So uh, I saw uh, Pacific Rim Uprising. Oh. oh, that's the second one. How is it? Yeah. Okay, so it's it's not it's it's one of the things where like it's it's a good sequel. Like it's not it's not. I consider the first movie a, a great film, uh, as far as you know, giant robots fighting monsters go. This is a good film. This is a very very good, very watchable, very enjoyable sequel. Um, the the 
it's a little bit too jokey at times. Uh, the performances, I mean, you, it's very hard to top Idris Elba. So uh, the performances don't hit all the same heights. It doesn't quite hit the same emotional heights. But the story is great. Like, hmm. they, they so thoroughly solved the kaiju problem in the first movie. It's so beautiful the way they make that problem come back in this film it, it is that is very very well done the, whoever whoever wrote it clearly gave a damn about making a, making a movie that where the story sort of pays off stuff from the original film uh now it does kind of it, unlike the first film it does end with some sequel setup uh and i don't necessarily want to see the sequel that it sets up but it's it's well worth seeing. It is a fun giant robot movie. Does Idris Elba do a cameo or anything? As a no, he, he's dead. Or... Remember? Well, he's dead, but I don't know if they have him in a. <laughs> oh no, there, there's a picture. There's a photo. There's like a, there's a photo wall with a hologram yeah. photo of him on it. But that that's as far as it goes. Hmm. I see. Uh, the, if the film has one true flaw, it's that. Too many of the fight scenes take place in in very bright daylight, and as a result, uh, like the the gaps in the CGI are very noticeable. The, they made a wise decision in the first Pacific Rim to have most of the fight scenes take place at night and in the rain. Um, well, in this, it looks like the sequel has a budget of fifty million less than the original. Could you tell? Um. Actually, yes, and the other way you can tell is that the Jaeger designs don't have nearly as much personality as the first film. Hmm. Uh, they, the, all the, with the exception of Gypsy Danger and uh, the little and the tiny Jaeger from the beginning, they all pretty much look the same with different paint jobs. Okay, cool. Uh, Ryan, has there been something you've been watching lately? Yeah, I've just been uh, catching up on some Blu-ray releases here. I've uh, got uh, The Last Jedi. I've been looking at all the special features on. And cool. We, uh, we, did a, we just released a Batman on Film podcast, a Star Wars podcast, about that, covering that, which was fun. And, um, and I got this Batman and Mr. Freeze Sub-Zero that just got, re- that just got released on Blu-ray for the first time. Ooh, I've heard uh, that's good. Yeah, if you've if you've never seen it, it's kind of a the last gasp uh, story of the original uh, Batman the animated series before the art style changed uh, to the new Batman Adventures. And yeah, it's just a kind of a really interesting look at at Mister Freeze, and it's more of a story about. I mean, all the all the characters get equal footing. It's not just Batman. It's it's Mister Freeze, Batman, Dick Grayson, Barbara Gordon in particular as well. Um, and yeah, it's a good Blu-ray, and it also um, comes with. This is another Warner Archive thing that they've released here, and it comes with the entire Mister Free Saga on one disc. It's got, in addition to, wow. yeah, in addition to uh, Sub Zero, it's got the Mister Freeze episodes from uh, two from Batman the Animated Series, one from the New Batman Adventures, and one from Batman Beyond, and it's even got oh, the wow. order to watch them in. Uh, so you have all those Mr. Freeze episodes on one disc, which is a really cool uh, way to experience that. That Batman Beyond episode with Mr. Freeze is amazing. Yeah, it's something else. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And we are getting a, a Batman animated series on Blu-ray finally at some point, right? Yes, it's it's supposed to be scheduled for later this year. Again, another Warner Archive thing. They haven't revealed 
much information about it, but uh, I do believe it is in the works, and it's supposed to come out later this year. Are they releasing it by season or in broken up volumes, or is it going to be like a walking series deal? I don't know. Because it is the Warner Archive, I would uh, venture a guess that it will be um, individual seasons that you will buy that you can probably get some box set that's got them all together. Um, but because this is such a... The scope of this is kind of bigger than than a lot of the things that they've tried to do before, so they might um, they might do something a little different. I guess we'll just have to wait and see what they decide to try to do with this one. Yeah, even though it's archive, I wonder if they might do what um, they did with the uh, uh, with the Adam West Batman series, where it first came out in a sort of a more expensive set with some collectible things in there. Yeah, that box set's great. Sort of, oh, I love it. Yeah, and then later they did a more slimmed down release. Um, yeah, I, I watched a little bit of the Last Jedi Blu-ray, mainly just that documentary on there, mm. that feature-length documentary, and that's quite good. It's, um, you, you see director Ryan Johnson, his sort of nerves going up as he sees what, what's going on and, uh, trying to get a handle on directing something that's such high budget. And they also get into, even though it's Star Wars, which is now owned by Disney and they have more money than God, there's still budget considerations and they talk about how... And the schedule, uh, this, yeah. The, the schedule and the, what the, the scene with the Jedi, uh, uh, Jedi tree or, or, so, or the temple or something, they wanted to do actual on, on this island and it would have cost so much to send everything over there that they sort of did a, a mixture of practical and CG if, and the blue screen effects to do it. And um, you don't often see documentaries get that, that nitty-gritty with it. The only ones I can think that do that are the Peter Jackson has always done a good job mm-hmm. with that. Uh, even way back on The Frighteners, that's like a four-hour documentary uh, that I think is maybe better than that movie itself. Um, and, I would uh, love to see him take on a Star Wars movie. <laughs> Peter Jackson? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, good, good point. He certainly could do it. Uh, interesting. Cool. Um well, Ryan, what's what's the latest going on with the Super Mario Brothers the movie? Oh yes. Yeah. So, as you folks may well know, this year is the 25th anniversary of Super Mario Brothers the movie, and oh yeah, uh, yes. And we have a lot of things uh, coming uh, through the website that are all in various stages of uh, work. We have the uh, last late last year we started um, getting our. Uh, we were doing 4K transfers of the original trailers. We have obtained, you know, film prints of trailers and have been getting 4K scans of them. And those are, we've got two of them on YouTube, uh, on our YouTube channel uh, right now, uh, which you can watch. And those are pretty cool because the we had them scanned at the full resolution instead of what would have been cropped in the theater. So there's actually footage mm. on those that that has actually never been seen before. It's almost like... Cool. The difference between um, uh, an IMAX and a regular theater, the way uh, if you go to see a movie in IMAX, sometimes when it switches aspect ratios, you'll see that. Um, So that's kind of a fun uh, new way to watch uh, (laughs) some Super Mario Brothers content. So we've got that. Um, We are working on some more documentary stuff uh, with both uh, actors from the film, which we have a few interviews in the bag already. Uh, new ones with uh, Samantha Mathis and Francesca Roberts, who played Big Bertha. And uh, we're also working on some documentary stuff with uh, 
academic uh, professor type people uh, and people that are very invested into storytelling and story structure and getting them to kind of analyze the film for us. And we are trying to make a cool uh, cult legacy documentary out of that and or an academic documentary, I should say. And and of course, we are planning some screening events as well this year. Um, uh, It's a little bit up in the air on which places and where. But uh, if you just follow the Twitter at SMB Movie or, you know, just uh, go to smbmovie.com, you'll see the latest ones. But the one is actually coming later this month uh, in California. Um, uh, Stephen, who, who, helps, uh, who helps me run the site, is, is doing one in Modesto. And it's going to be this very fun uh, film screening that's also got some like live performances and costumes. and fa- he's, he's, he's kind of going all out for this one to try to make it a, a fun uh, celebration of the film. So if you follow the oh, uh, the Facebook, Twitter, and, and website, you'll, you'll get more information on, uh, on that particular event and the events to follow. I was going to try to make it to that event, and unfortunately I had a prior commitment. Oh. I really, really wish I was there. That <laughs> sounds like it's going to be a blast. That would have been so good. Yeah, he, cool. he, he gives me updates every day with um, uh, what's going on with that and then the, the people that are volunteering or, or acting and the, the costuming and stuff. He, it's going to be pretty elaborate. <laughs> I bet, yeah, hard to believe it's already been 25 years since uh, yeah. that show came out. That's great. Yeah. Um, Cool. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else. Uh, Thrasher, do you have anything going on? Oh gosh. Well, I recently uh, going if, for people who have been uh, following any of uh, my uh, gaming publications. Uh, I uh, there's a there's a new uh, miniature war game out, Ragnarok: uh, Age of Wolves, by uh, Canadian game designer Clint Staples. It's published by Skirmisher Publishing LLC, and I bring it up. Uh, because I did have a small hand in it. Uh, I was part of a lot of the original playtesting of this game, but beyond that, I designed the Frost, the uh, Frostfall spell template. So there is at least one piece of my original artwork uh, in in the rulebook. So uh, I was going to say definitely check out Ragnarok Age of Wolves if you like, speaking of Loki, uh, Viking-themed uh, skirmish-level miniature combat uh, with a healthy dose of magic and monsters thrown in. Uh, but then uh, beyond that, uh, I recently completed a bunch of illustrations uh, for a book, The Jester Dragon's Bag of Beans, which is based on the old Bag of Beans article from Dragon Magazine, where it's just like, it's a book of randomized effects for magic beans and tabletop role-playing games, and I've, it's, I've produced ten original illustrations for it. Uh, they were all very, very fun to do, and I happened to be working on those while we were covering uh, the uh, Mask and Jim Carrey film. So it's been what's been going on in my life while we've been working on this particular series. Uh, it's not out as of this recording, but there's a decent chance it may be out by the time this episode drops. Uh, and it can be found, it and Ragnarok Age of Wolves can be found on drivethroughrpg.net. We are going to have print versions at some point, but right now we don't know when that's going to be. So that's gonna, initially they're going to be available as PDFs. Pretty neat. Um, I've been working on uh, trying to do a few book pitches cool. to different small press publishers. Um, one um, is uh, Uwe Boll related. I'll just leave it at that. So 
Is, did that just happen because of an interaction that just happened, or is this something else? No, it, it's not related. You know, for um, Uwe Boll, for those who don't know, is a, a, a German... I have to be careful with this. He's a German director that has done a lot of movies, some of which are video game movies, and on Twitter there's the Follow Friday thing, and I threw him on there, and then he started randomly commenting on my tweets. <laughs> um, and we had a discussion about Dick Tracy, because I've been using that as my avatar, sort of that, logo, that sort oh, yeah. of circular logo from the old movie, or the 90s movie, and, uh, and he said, and I can never tell if he's um, joking or not, it's very strange and he had retired from doing movies and now has been a successful restaurateur in Canada and uh, but apparently he wants to get into movies again so um, so who knows I hope the Uwe Boll thing happens this other book pitch happens I just sort of uh, have been starting a new job and just trying to balance my time to get things ready and uh, but the, the thing with uh, and I think you know this Thrasher but with with book contracts and trying to do these things they're mu- they take much longer than say pitches for magazine articles oh yeah right it can take months or years or so forth. So um, I have an introduction written on one of them, but but we'll see. Um, fingers crossed, though. And uh, Ryan, I want to thank you for coming on here to talk Son of the Mask. Yeah, yes. Um, it was awesome having worse. you. Yeah, I'm, I, it's been way too long since I've been back. I'm so glad uh, to have joined you guys, and always always a pleasure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking to, to for a way to get the past episodes available. I just have to get off my butt and do it. But now that we're... <laughs> On the Podbean platform, you can offer past episodes. At, oh. um, I want to sort of offer them at like low prices or something. But mm-hmm. there's not the the limit with with the um, storage that with the, some of the other that Lipsin had. So all pretty cool stuff. Um, and uh, Ryan, where's the best people uh, place people can follow you? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at smb underscore ryan. I'm also part of the Batman on Film podcast, and you can and that actually the, pod, the Batman Podcast Network has its own dedicated Twitter now. You can find it uh, on Twitter at BatPod Network. I'm following and, uh, it right now. Oh, sweet! Yes, yeah, and um, and I'm also I also do another podcast, uh, which is. Uh, Tim Drake Robin focused. I'm part of that podcast, and it's called uh, Robin. Everyone loves the Drake, and it's on Twitter at ELTD Podcast. Very good. That reminds me of something really quick. I was at an arcade, and they had an arcade version of the uh, of Injustice Gods Among Us, but it was a port of the iPhone game of that. Yeah, huh. interesting, isn't very, it? Yeah. Very strange. And it would. The cool thing is, you could print off cards of different characters. And you could use your cards and load up your, uh, I guess it would keep your experience points you gained. Right. Um, so, pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Uh, Thrasher, what's, um, where can people follow you? You can follow me on Twitter, at internetmare. Follow me on Twitter, at M-A-T-W-B-T. I'm trying to get into streaming uh, some more when... Time allows. I've been doing uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2, and that's had a lot of um, strange changes with their in-game currency system. Huh. So it's yeah. interesting to see where uh, where that goes. Uh, it's been quite unusual. Um, and uh, the website, uh, yeah, just look up SequelCast 2, give us a review on iTunes if you like the show. Or if you don't, you know, still leave a review, whatever, it's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, Ryan, thanks again for being on the show. Of course. <coughs> and... Um, I'm wondering, uh, yeah, and let's see, would you, can you see Thrasher's post of that scene from Son of the Mask? If not, I can repost it. 
Yeah, why don't you repost it? Because I want Ryan to do the scene with you. Director. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. Oh. So here. Um, are you seeing this pop scene up? you're talking about? I do. I see. Yeah, okay. So do you want to be... Oh, I guess there's three parts, huh? Well, no, there's two parts. Never mind. So, okay. So which <clears> part do you want, Ryan? Uh, I, I think... Um, I, w- I would do Loki because I heard his uh, Thrasher's Bob Hoskins earlier, and it was pretty pretty darn good. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Okay, great. So let's uh, let's do it. All right. So this is the scene where Odin has possessed Jerry Miner, the antiques dealer. You know, Thor never never gave me this kind of trouble. No, here we go again with the Thor crap. Thor, Thor, Thor. You know, Father, I'm not like Thor. I'm never gonna be like Thor. I just wish that. Can't you just love me for who I am and not who I'm not? No! I want you to be more like Thor! <laughs> Very good, end scene. Thanks so much, Ryan. No problem. Oh, Matt, some, one last thing I want to point out. I'm looking at the quotes page yes. for this, which is just as incomprehensible as the movie. One of the quotes <laughs> is Tim Avery simply saying, Smoking! Causes cancer, <laughs> and it's labeled uh, deleted scene. That's true. That's true. I think I remember that. It's on. I think that's on the disc. Uh, <laughs> I would have liked if that was in the movie. Uh, they had um, that Cuban Pete callback in the film as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, but it wasn't the Jim Carrey version. It was. Uh, I believe it was sung by the same person who sang that family song. <laughs> 